you can't be a behind the scenes person and be in this role because it requires, if you're really truly focusing on the customer journey, you have to collaborate with those outside of your org and even those within your org. So I think for me, the number one thing is communication and the why, like, why do we need to do this? Welcome to the OpStars podcast, where we talk to revenue operations pros at the top of their game so that we can collectively support each other through the sharing of ideas, learning best practices, and discovering innovative new strategies. I'm your host, Don Opfos. Well, thanks for joining us today on the OpStars podcast. Today, I have uh, Sandy Robinson. She is the SVP of Revenue Operations and Enablement at Patra Corporation. You guys are all remote, right? We are. We are remote. That's awesome. So you're out in Jacksonville, Florida, enjoying the Florida Live. Everyone else is spread all over the country. <laughs> they are. A lot of our team is on the West Coast. And in fact, our corporate headquarters is in my hometown of a number of years, like through high school. So quite interesting. So I get to go back there as well. So kind of get the best of both worlds. That's very cool. That's awesome. And then you just joined earlier this year in 2023. You joined in April. I sure did. One thing I wanted to really understand was what was your motivation to join Patra? Because you had said that they didn't really have any revenue operations at all at the time. I know one of the things I talked to folks on the podcast about is like the fun and challenge of going into something where no one's built anything and you get to be the first person in the door. And I think we talked about like, could you share like the joy of that that you've been experiencing since you joined? It's definitely been fun. And there was some sales operations and marketing operations in kind of the traditional sense in place. So wasn't that there wasn't anything. What's happened since I've joined is really coming in and establishing this idea of revenue operations, supporting the full customer life cycle. So as with any company, there's always challenges in different silos of the organization. So whether or not it reports, you know, up to the CRO or to somebody else, operations in the organization, just really focusing on the customer buying journey. So that's really what I've tried to establish is really getting rid of any handoff points and regardless of which part of the organization it goes to, just bringing these concepts, which are just slightly nuanced from the way the company's been operating over the last you know, 17 or so years. Wow. So the company's pretty well established. The concept of revenue operations kind of owning that journey from start to finish was kind of a new concept for them. And, you know, I report to the CRO who has these responsibilities as well. And, you know, it's just really working together with my peers and cross-functionally to try to look at where do we work together on a deal? How do we collaborate? And where are the sticking points? So I just really jumped in and started looking at the data and where are the handoff points? Where is the friction in the system and things like that? And I just try to prioritize those things where I can have an impact since joining the company. Right. Doing that gives you a real immediate effect coming in. But you also have the flip side of that blank slate environment. So like in the background, are you thinking about things like, what do I want to do with systems and processes and behaviors. And can you talk about like, while you're keeping the plates spinning, like what are the other things you're thinking of like that's more foundational for the org? So in tandem with me joining, we rolled out some consultative selling. So in terms of the enablement side of what I'm doing with onboarding, MedPick is shifting to more of a consultative sale. 
and then the technology to support it. Fortunately, we don't have this giant tech stack with 20 tools that don't work together. We have a couple of tools that just need to be, you know, fine-tuned and we're a HubSpot organization, so I'm learning a lot about you know the specifics on tools that are going to work well with HubSpot. So even though we don't have a lot of tools, some of the ones that we have just aren't compatible with HubSpot. So I'm really evaluating the tech stack, fine-tuning between we're a Microsoft shop, so really fine-tuning the add-ins and making sure we're capturing everything. So it's a lot around the playbook and the day-to-day function that the sales team has. So They're really living a lot in different systems and spreadsheets of our own kind of internal systems and different drives and proprietary tools that we've built over the years. So just really streamlining, really focusing in on the deal journey or the opportunity journey right now, because that's obviously going to be the most impactful for forecasting and for, you know, new business and new revenue generation. Got it. In past roles, when I've jumped into something similar, even though you're rolling up with the CRO and you have his her buy-in on the things that you're doing, you can get a lot of pushback from downstream sales folks. Have you run into that at all or how have you addressed that? Yeah, I think it's just overall change management, right? So, I mean, salespeople are always afraid of change. And the past experience, I think, with a lot of salespeople is every time there's a new tool or new system means they have to do more work. And given my background that I have a sales background and I just freaking hated that as a salesperson. I hated that, okay? So when manager would come to me and be like, hey, you need to do this thing, it pissed me off because I was like, why do I have to check that box? Why do I have to do that thing? So my commitment to the team is to basically not have them doing nonsense. Like if it's something that they're doing that's duplicative, I'm trying to get rid of it because we do have a lot of duplication due to systems, you know, not having systems or not having systems connected, right? So I'm going through literally one by one field. I just tell them like, if you have a secret spreadsheet, just give it to me. I'll try to help. Like I realize we're not going to change this overnight, you know? Because, you know, everybody's got their secret spreadsheet. So they already know, like, spreadsheet's a bad word, right? Somebody said that I'm doing onboarding, right? So I have, like, 15 people that are calling my baby birds in my onboarding group. And somebody's like, I know you don't like spreadsheets, but I have the spreadsheet. And I start cracking up. I'm like, yeah, I hate them. But send it to me because we can probably automate that with our data visualization. So if you're going into, so we have a lot of data in Tableau. And so I'm like, if you're just going in there and extracting, we already have the data in there. So if this is something useful that you need, that you're feeling like you have to do in a pivot table, give it to me and we'll figure out how to build it in Tableau. And then maybe everybody else will benefit. And that's one less freaking spreadsheet you have to deal with. So I get it, like my background, and and I know not all RevOps leaders have a sales background, but for me, that helps bridge the gap with salespeople. And they believe me at first, and then, but I have to deliver too. So if they're bringing something to me, and I think it's the worst thing leaders can do is like ask for feedback and then not do anything about it. So if they're going to bring me a spreadsheet or bring me something, I'm going to say, all right, look, let's, let's see what our capacity is. Let's see if we can prioritize this. And maybe it's something we can already do, or maybe it's something we need to build, but actually doing something about it. Totally. 
I had that same experience too. Like my background was in sales. So having that sales empathy, look, I've done your job. I know what a pain this is. I have gone to folks and said, look, my role doing RevOps is to remove as much manual work for you as I possibly can. I promise you that I will do that. And so like having that empathy, I, help, I think helps get them to buy into what you're doing. So that brings me to a question. So I know you shifted from being that salesperson to doing RevOps around 10 years ago or so. What was that experience like? What caused you to make that shift? How do you think it's really helped shape your career to what it is today? Well, it was really the first woman badass that I reported to when I was over at Kemper. And, you know, I was doing all of these things. I made the team give me, show me how to do the reports. We were using Microsoft CRM. It wasn't even Dynamics at the time. And I'm like, I need to figure out how to use this and how to manage my territory. So I would run all these cool reports. It would send it out. I would make the decks. I somehow got myself invited to some of the big wig meetings and things like that. And she's like, look, there's this thing called sales ops. And I'm like, what is that? And she's like, you'd be really good at it. And I was already doing the training too. I was like a certified challenger trainer at the time and, you know, all that stuff. So she's like, you really should do this. And so that's kind of how I got into it. And for the first couple of years, I ran sales team. I ran the Florida region and then I was doing national sales ops for Kemper. But, you know, we built everything. We did everything from commissions, territory planning to even the agent commissions there. So it was kind of two levels. Before I left with, you know, lots of mergers and consolidations, I was actually running the whole go-to-market team and marketing and and things like that. So it was really a great experience. But she was the one who was like, this the thing for you. Like, this is really what you should do. And at the time, I had a kid, too. He was a baby. He was newborn. And I was traveling everywhere, going on field sales calls with my whole team. And it meant that I could work remote and not travel as much, right? I would just go to like quarterly meetings and I could be home. So just having a really awesome female role model mom who said, you know, hey, you're really great at this. And by the way, this is like a great lifestyle for you to get into rather than being like a road warrior all the time. No, that's awesome. I think having kind of mentor or even having somebody in your career that can look at you and go, you know what, what you're doing today is good, but I think you're going to be better at this other thing. And then it ends up changing your life. I have a very similar story to my transition from doing sales to RevOps was a VP I had worked for twice. This is back in 2008 when the economy wasn't great. They had a layoff. He was like, look, I'm going to be a reference for you, but I'm not going to be a reference for you if you go in for another sales job. I'm only going to be a reference for you if you go do something called sales ops, because you're the guy everyone turns to. You know, you're the one that knows how to run the dashboards and the, and the reporting and importing leads and setting up campaigns. You're an AE, but you're doing all that and you're really good at that. And you clearly have a passion for it. So you should really go find a job doing that. And, you know, I was like 37. I've been a sales rep all my life and I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm going to make this huge change now. So I totally get it. I think it's awesome that we have those kinds of people uh, in our lives that are able to identify that thing within us that we may not see ourselves. And ends up ends up changing our career path completely. Definitely. And then, so Patra obviously isn't the first uh, RevOps role you've done. You've been at several other companies, and I know, like at Patra, you've kind of had that blank slate. But you also mentioned you've gone into situations where there's 20 different tools, and 
you have that systems ugliness and other operational challenges. Uh, can you can you talk a little about about some of the issues you faced there and, and like what you did to resolve them? Sure. When I got into the SaaS space was at web.com and it was at part of a merger, right? So I came in when we were actually acquiring another company and then I was brought in as the head of, I mean, it was called sales ops, but I covered everything from the marketing journey, lead gen, you know, all the way through the renewals and, and everything. So I think RevOps wasn't quite titled yet at the time. But anyway, so that was my whole responsibility. And when we kind of went through this merger, the, our business unit became the company we were merging. So we got all of their systems, all their employees, their comp plans. And so it was, you know, really putting together two instances of Salesforce, deciding on which project management tool to use how to connect the phone system. So that's something that people don't think about. Like just to give you an example, there was a, one of the reps was like, oh, you know, they have to tell one of our inbound customers to call a different number to get to our Jacksonville office from our Charlotte office. And I was like, well, why? That doesn't make any sense. Well, it's, it's a different phone system. And it turned out it was, it was really the same phone system, but just somebody in IT that was in charge of it needed to fix something. And so just had to really get in there and fix that because that's a, a hot lead coming in. And we were saying, oh, you know, hey, sorry, call back this number. And there was no way to even warm transfer them. So there's just stuff like that everywhere that would come up that you don't even think about, right? When you're trying to bring together different people, different teams, different systems, there were different legacy reports that we had to kind of add in to numbers at the end of the month and you try to solution long-term for how are we going to transition that part of the business over. So it was really very complicated, but we just had to prioritize like the day-to-day -day business, right? The things that are top going to impact the top of funnel, impact the immediate results, and then, you know, try to kind of put in long-term plans for some of the other things. I mean, it's like what you're doing at Pod for now in a way. It's a lot of a lot of that because the different departments are operating in different systems and different silos. And it's not unlike any company, like even startups. When I was at Nimbus, we there was one point where I discovered and this is me. I'm just nosy. I'm a busy body. Right. So it doesn't matter like if it just belongs to my team or not. I'm going to go find out. You're naturally curious. Yeah. Right. Whatever. I'm a control freak, curious, whatever you want to call it. But you know, again, implementations is an issue. So we had the implementations team using Smartsheet. So when I started, I was like, okay, if we all want project management tools, we all need to use Smartsheet. I got agreement from everybody. So everybody's like, yeah, we're going to use Smartsheet. Well, like a year after being there, it turned out we, <laughs> people went off and got Roadmonk. One team went off, got Roadmonk. And then one team got Monday. And we actually had two instances of Monday. So we had four project management tools I kind of figured this out and I bring it back to IT. I'm like, look, guys, now we have four, but we all agreed we'd have one. So it happened so quickly. And then we, so we ended up like getting rid of Roadmonk and consolidating Monday, but we still only ever still had two project management tools by the time we left. And so it doesn't matter if the company has been around forever. Like startups are almost even more problematic because in a startup, you operate like you do what it takes to get the business. And a lot of times what happens is you move fast. So somebody's like, I have to go grab this tool and project management tools are a very great example because I need to 
organize myself for this project. Ooh, well, now we can use it for this. And then it, it grows. And then it goes, okay, I had the free individual license with my company email. Now I've got the team license. And pretty soon I'm on the enterprise license. And now marketing has their own, now they're growing. And now they already have their own established culture. And it, it just happens so fast. So when people talk to me about at startups, like I had somebody last week, I was at a conference and somebody was like, hey, we're, we're planning to grow and what CRM should we get? I'm like, well, the first question I asked is like, how fast are you trying to grow? And what is your email system? Are you using Gmail? Are you using Microsoft? Using something else? And if you're planning to stay with that and then base your selection and your growth plans on your evaluation off of that and make those decisions now and stick with it. Pick the one project management tool that's going to scale with you pick the one CRM, pick your email and stick with it because it happens so quickly when you start hiring people because every VP has a budget and they go out with their little budget and buy a tool. <laughs> it happens like that. What I think happens too is if you don't make the right decision and you start to scale and you have to change, the change is tremendously more painful. Definitely. And I get it. If you're in a startup, you have limited funds. But I think it's it would behoove folks to bring in, may not be able to hire a full-time senior RevOps person, but have a consultant give you some direction and hire a really good rock star admin who can, not just a Salesforce admin, but somebody who is a Salesforce admin, but understands the architecture and can literally get into any system and figure it out. Like I've always been fortunate to have a really awesome person like that. In fact, I brought her with me to three different companies and she's stepped up at Nimbus and she's staying there. And, uh, you know, as I've moved on and she can figure anything out. And I think you have to have somebody like that who could do that. You can't have someone that is that is siloed on just being like a CRM admin they have to be someone that can recognize like, oh, wow, we are getting four different project management systems. And even though I'm RevOps, project management systems is maybe not my domain, but I'm going to raise the flag now because I can see the problem on the horizon. If you only have like a 40-person sales team, you can't have a 10-person RevOps team, right? You might have three, four top of really good admin, maybe a sales enablement person analyst and then the head of it. So like, it's really going to be a small team, you know, if you're thinking about a 10% capacity ratio. So unless you're working for a very large company with a massive sales team, you're not going to have the luxury of having people with really focused expertise, have somebody who has a broad expertise and can be agile and can just figure it out. Right. Someone that can think strategically, but act tactically. Exactly. So in the things that you've done, you know, what strategies have you found effective in kind of fostering that culture where everyone gets on board with those new initiatives, where you are pulling in people from different parts of the business, especially when you have to kind of move slow for a comprehensive understanding of like direction you're going in? I move too fast too sometimes for sure. But I think the big thing is Thankfully, I have a sales background, right? Because it's really about building the relationship. So that side of the business, particularly in a RevOps role, I think is fundamental. You can't be a behind the scenes 
person and be in this role because it requires, if you're really truly focusing on the customer journey, you have to collaborate with those outside of your org and even those within your org. So I think for me, the number one thing is communication and the why, like, why do we need to do this? One of the common things that I got probably in the first couple months here was, well, that's a sales thing or that's RevOps thing. And I will literally stop at a meeting. You can ask anybody I work with and I'll say, no, it's a Patra thing. It's a customer thing. It is not a me thing. It's not about me. This is about the customer journey. So I don't care. I don't want to own the tool. God forbid, I don't want to own another tool. Trust me. If you want to admin a tool, you want to own a tool, feel free. You want to manage the budget. But we need to think about how these things all work together. And things. there are decisions that need to be agreed upon at the C-suite. So when I talk at conferences, I'll talk a lot about putting together a rev tech strategy. And that really starts at the, the C-suite, agreeing that if there's a tool that impacts the customer journey, then we need to agree that a certain subset of people are going to be involved. The head of ops might be the head of marketing, the head of sales, the rev ops, somebody in implementations, whatever it is, not necessarily just the folks under the CRO structure, right? And so I think for me, it's about the communication, communicating the strategy, educating what is RevOps. Most people, even people that have RevOps in their companies think it's sales ops. They think it doesn't apply to them or like from a marketing. And I think we've labeled because Forbes, I think last year said, well, it's the fastest growing industry. But if you really look at all the jobs on LinkedIn and the descriptions, they may say RevOps, but they're really sales ops jobs. So I think it's the education of RevOps supports the full customer buying journey. And if your team is big enough within your team, like you have a large enough organization, you might have a dedicated person to marketing ops, a dedicated person to sales ops and customer success ops, or whatever that looks like in your company. But most teams aren't that big enough to support that big of a rev ops team. So you have to, I think, solve it by focusing on the customer journey, all the different parts, you know, from lead all the way to, you know, renewal and happy customer referrals and things like that. You get the team that you have to buy into the concept so that they have that attitude, even if it's not specifically something that they focus on. And that way I'm not a threat either or a nuisance, like a fly, right? Like, oh, what does she want to talk to me about now? It's really more like, hey, I, I want to understand your business and how does that impact the life cycle of the customer? So if I'm in operations and I'm working on some technical relationship with the technical buyers, that's part of the customer journey, their experience with that. And as a salesperson looking for expansions or cross-sells or upsells, they need to be able to understand what's happening on the day-to-day -day if there's problems. So understanding that in, you know, that we're really trying to understand the full behavior of the customer, the how our interactions impact the journey, it kind of takes the threat level down a little bit. And they're like, oh yeah, you know, I'll show you how this works. And, you know, I'm not here to change anything or tell you what to do. I just want to understand so we can figure out how to better connect the dots on everything. 
Totally. That's so true. So that concept of revenue operations obviously wasn't something that existed at Patra previously. And I think you talked about how some of the, there was a, a round of VC funding or one of your VCs kind of influenced that decision to bring in that concept of revenue operations that we're talking about. Can you talk about that a little bit? And like, what was it when you did come on board? You know, what was your approach in introducing that concept to everyone on the team? I mean, I just started engaging with the recruiters. And in fact, one of the folks over at FTV, my RevOps partner happened to watch me speak. I happened to have interviewed with him prior to me speaking and randomly he was at the conference. So it was kind of crazy, but it was great. I mean, I, I think I don't think it's anything that Patra didn't think about doing in the past. It was just like, okay, now this, now's the time. And I came in, I think, at a really good time with support from everybody in the company, the entire C-suite. Everybody's like understands the concepts and the ideas and are supportive of how everything is looking and this whole idea of the supporting the customer journey. And, you know, there were projects already happening at the company around a central source of truth for data. So like literally at the beginning of my stint or my employment is, you know, I got pulled into that project. So I don't still think it was something that was like foreign to the company. It was just more like, hey, now's the time. Now's when we want to do this. We're also bringing in this idea of more of a consultative sale. So the timing was really great with me coming on board and the support. And the support's awesome. Like if you've ever worked with a VC, it's, it's super fun because you have like kind of another person to bounce ideas off of and I love that. You know, I love my RevOps partner. He's super cool. We bounce ideas off each other and things like that. So it's definitely very productive. And I've had these relationships in past organizations as well. That's awesome. For when you joined Patra, obviously, there might have been some anxiousness or defensiveness within those silos that may have existed before you joining. What were some of the things that you did to center the conversation around that customer journey and how the technology, you know, how your revenue tech stack was going to affect that with the internal stakeholders that you had? I don't know that I'd frame it as defensiveness. I think it's just human behavior, right? Like, hey, this is the, this is the way that we do things. And that's what I experience, you know, even when I talk to folks at conferences, like they're very, tend to be rooted down in their opinions, especially if you're dealing with like type A personalities and you know, the further up you get, you know, VPs and above, they're all going to have that kind of on a disc, a D, right? A DI, right? So I think it's more of just communicating with humans. So I don't know that it was necessarily defensiveness, but it was more like there's potentially another way or there's a way we can work together or here's why we need to have the same set of data. So with this data project, there was this kind of idea we need, you know, a certain number of levels of hierarchy. I brought a proposal that said something different. So we're kind of, you know, going back and forth to say, like, here's the why, like, here's why we need this many levels, parent, child, locations, et cetera, et cetera. And then there's more than one way to skin a cat, right? I don't like that saying. That's kind of a weird saying, but there's more than one way to do things. So just kind of throwing it out there like, well, we don't have to solve for everything by adding another layer in a hierarchy, a different, we can solve for it a different way. So I guess my Six Sigma background, I just kind of bring like, what problem are we trying to solve 
And then let's figure out all the solutions later. And people tend to jump right to the solution that they have in their mind. And then they come in and they want to, I can do that too, right? So I try to stop myself in the same process and go, okay, let's step back. What problem are we trying to solve? Okay, what are all of our options? And then let's eliminate, okay, these ones are totally stupid. And these ones might work. And then this might work. And then which ones work within our systems? And then which one's actually realistic? So kind of work from the problem versus starting with a solution. So that's what I find is helpful in it. Like I said, it's not really defensiveness. I think it's just people get, anytime you need to change, it's like, just like sales. Yeah, it's sales. Like when you try to get customers to buy, nobody wants to make a decision because if it's on them, it's not like when I sold Yellow Pages advertising, right? Like I could close the guy. Like I could sit across, stare him in the face and not talk and get the guy to sign. Like I could do that. I was great at it. But that's not how people buy now, right? They don't buy like that. And People don't make decisions like that because they have jobs, they have families. They Nobody wants to die on the sword of one person making a decision and taking a risk. So just like consultative sales and getting a consensus-based decision, getting all the stakeholders, the economic buyer, the technical buyer, the champion, you know, all the folks involved to make a decision, you have to do the same thing internally. So you have to appeal to what is going to benefit them What's going to be the least riskiest? What are the consequences of the status quo? Because most people think the status quo is the easier way. Like, let's just stick with the status quo. And it's internal sales versus your consultative sales externally is really the same thing. And I think people, it's just, they think the status quo is the easier way. And you have to teach them that, like, if we keep doing this, we're not going to hit our objective. So we do need to take some amount of calculated risk and make a change. And let's get most of us on board. Not everybody's going to be on board. But like, you know, if there's seven people and you get five of them, like, all right, let's go. You know, the other two, they'll get along and then they'll be the first ones to say, told you so if it doesn't work. But, you know, whatever. At least you have the majority. <laughs> So like for buyers, I mean, I know that that's always a challenge, right? And the consultative sale, the worst outcome as a seller is the status quo decision. You're trying to affect that change. And in order to affect that change, you have to educate. Part of education is helping them understand the problem that they're going to have long-term if they choose that no change decision. I know one of the things you also wanted to talk about was uh, just you know kind of the stuff that's out in, in the world of the, the revenue tech stack today. I think we've kind of come to the conclusion that the rev tech stack really encompasses a lot of things. It's not just your CRM or your marketing platform. You do get pulled into things like, you know, picking a project management tool. How would you define kind of what the rev tech stack looks like in a way that kind of encompasses both the direct and indirect impacts on that buyer's journey? For sure. So the definition that I've kind of landed on that I kind of morphed and modified from what I saw out on the internet is that any system that directly or indirectly influences the customer buying journey at any stage of the life cycle. And so when you think about that, you have to kind of look at where your problems. I like to map everything out on the bow tie. So if you, whatever your sales journey looks like, 
I like to actually literally put the logos. So if it's a marketing tool, I'm going to put the logo up at the beginning, whatever, wherever the tool lands. So I like to really visualize that as part of the customer buying journey. And then just figure out, okay, where's the duplication? And then do they work together? Do they work with the CRM? Is that the right one? I won't name the name of a tool, but I'm in a situation where I've got a really great enablement tool that's set up very well, but it does not have any integration with HubSpot unless I want to start jumping into custom API development. I don't want to do that. And, you know, there's other tools out there. Unfortunately, that particular tool is not going to stay in the tech stack. And so I think the best advice I could give to anybody is if your CRM should be your central source of truth for certain items like, you know, the main customer data, prospecting, marketing contacts, you determine what it is. And that source of truth, any other system, whether it's a customer success system, a ticketing system, a call center tool, marketing automation, you want to make sure that it is able to connect and not just, sure, it integrates. Because every sales rep will tell you their tool integrates with your CRM. So what exactly does that mean? Show me what that means. Does it really integrate down to the object level or the property level if you're in HubSpot? And who's going to administrate that? Do we have the ability? Is it difficult? Like, that's one of the questions I always ask. Like, how hard is this thing to do? Like, if I have to have... Yeah, it connects. But how easy is it to connect? <laughs> if I have to have my admin go take a class to get certified in one tool that's not even the CRM, I don't want it. I don't do want it. You know, if you say the word SQL to me, don't want it. If you say the word custom integration, don't want it. If you say like app on the app exchange, I'm listening, right? So those are the kind of things that are, I think, critical is because if it's not set up, you could have the best tools in the world, but if you don't have the technical team to set it up, then you need to you need to have something that's simple that integrates and works together with your CRM because you don't want people logging into different systems, right? And Forbes did a study recently, like salespeople only send, spend like a third of their time actually selling because they are in other systems and it's not the CRM, only 17% of their time is in the CRM. Everything else is in all the other stuff. So getting your tech stack to work together so it's not about more tools, getting more tools, it's getting the right tools and getting the right tools to work together. And you have to make some hard decisions if they don't. Do you want to make the sacrifice because you like it where they have to go and now that sets up another data silo and maybe you do want to make custom integrations? You'll have to make those decisions or do you want to shop around and find a better replacement that longer term is going to be more seamless? there's definite trade-offs when you're looking at this. But a lot of people want to come in, jump into a role and buy a bunch of tech. I haven't bought one tool yet. I haven't signed up for a tool yet because I'm trying to evaluate you know, what I've got, fix what I've got. And then once we kind of get that where it is, we'll add on you know, any necessary tools or we'll replace tools potentially you know, down the road. I call it tech confetti. You, you walk in and it's like, everyone's bought one of everything. And it's like you have to suss out like 
that shouldn't be the whole job of RevOps. Like for me, that's critical root thing you have to focus on. You have to get that right in order to deploy a sales methodology because you need to marry up the methodology with the process with the systems, right? All those things need to work together. So if you don't have your fundamental RevTech strategy dialed in, you're going to have a really hard time trying to figure out where are they going to put MedPick and how are we going to capture MedPick and, you know, all those other things or, or whatever you use in your org spin or whatever's out there. To wrap it up, last question. I just wanted to know for what future trends in, in RevOps do you foresee down the pipe? And, you know, how should companies prepare for, for what's coming? Well, I know, I mean, everybody's trying to implement some sort of generative AI. And I think that can be super useful, particularly, you know, you don't want salespeople just coming and going off on their own, right? Having that embedded, go to your current vendors, because a lot of them are releasing functionality that you can just kind of bring right in and layer on top of what you're doing. But I think the what's coming is the automation behind that. So now can a sales rep after, you know, having a meeting, have all the information come out and populate their CRM, like without having to type it or copy or paste it and things like that. So I think more automation is coming that's going to be customized due to the generative AI that is out there. And that's um, really changing prospecting altogether, right? Changing, you know, writing emails and time saving and things like that. So I think that's really what's next. And just really the general consolidation, what I'm seeing out there is a lot of the tools are, you know, offering different, more functionality to kind of keep it all in one place. Obviously, from their end, you know, they're trying to get more revenue. But, you know, a lot of these smaller players have gone away. And so these bigger players are saying, you know, you can do this all in one place. And they're consolidating and acquiring, you know, other functionality that makes it more appealing because the fewer places you have to log in, the better off you are, the less your salespeople complain. I mean, they're going to complain they have too many tools no matter what. You know, if they have two tools, they're going to say they should have one. It's just the way it works. But there are some ridiculous amount of logins that people have, but surveys out there and everything. And so I think it's a general consolidation, the RevTech stack and what that looks like. You know, it's fun to have the shiny bells and whistles, but you've got to focus on the, the core functionality. So basically, the recommendation is to go ask your vendor about what their AI strategy is. Definitely. Yeah. What does their roadmap look like? What do they have coming? What can you beta test? So a lot of times they'll have things they're working on, but it's not out yet. And you can get in on a beta test and try it and take a couple of your sales folks and jump in on it if you're willing to do that sort of thing to be kind of part of that. I think that's exciting. There's a but everybody's focused on, you know, some aspect of leveraging AI and what that looks like. Okay. Well, hey, Sandy, thank you so much for uh, joining me today. I really appreciate it. I think we had a great discussion. I love that your background in RevOps matches kind of like how I moved from sales to RevOps is kind of the same thing that you did. It was kind of funny to hear that story. Thank you for joining us. And uh, we'll see you on another episode of the OpsStars podcast soon. Thanks for having me, Don. The OpsStars podcast is brought to you by Lean Data. To find out more about us and our suite of Salesforce native products for marketing, sales, and revenue operations, 
head to leandata.com and then make sure to search for OpStars in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, or anywhere else that podcasts are found. Make sure to click subscribe so you don't miss on any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at OpStars and Lean Data, thanks for listening.